All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are less than a week away now, just a couple days away from the Dive Bomb Squad Fest, the very first one. We look forward to seeing everybody out in St. Louis, June 11th and 12th. It's going to be a great time. They got uh, cornhole tournament. They got goose calling contest, duck calling contest, good beer. It's going to be an awesome time. We hope to see everybody there and uh, kicking off a great summer. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by iSight Drone Service. Eyesight Drone Service is headquartered in Grand Forks, North Dakota. It's a veteran-owned small business. It's fully licensed and insured drone and manned aircraft services company. All operators are commercial pilots and 107 certified. They have extensive experience in agriculture, stand count, tassel count, crop health damage, and visual inspection. Natural resources, they can do your waterfowl counts, your big game counts, cattle counts, natural disaster surveys, archaeological assessments, infrastructural, gravel road management, building inspections, house roof inspections, oil and gas pipeline and facilities, renewable energy inspections, power line inspections, communications tower ins- communication tower inspections. Ladies and gentlemen, if you need a drone for anything, they can take care of any of your needs. They're open to new industries and jobs as well. Well, rapidly and effectively deployed to virtually any side of project within the continental United States in short order and that's eyesight drone services and you can check them out at www.isightdrones.com and that's i with the letter i s-i-g-h-t-d-r-o-n-e-s.com or check them out on their web or check out their website please at isightdrones.com it's amazing what all they can do now with modern technology it's crazy they can do a waterfowl count with drones just think about how much you don't even need people nope there's movies about that but they can do so much more stuff today and so much quicker yeah crazy i mean it it, it is i mean it's just <laughs> the way the world's going what's next you never know you never know what you're gonna see next here so anyways so, y'all check out our new sponsor yeah no kidding uh we're also brought to you by bangtail whiskey it is built on an a built on a dream age 25 years handcrafted bangtail whiskey to create the perfect sip no matter how you drink your whiskey. I like, uh, you know, I like the whiskey sour. Catch a little bit of hell for that, but it's great. Um, you can order Bangtail whiskey right online, and they'll send it straight to your door, and uh, you don't even have to get out of your pajamas to get whiskey headed your way. It is, uh, you'll find a pleasant aroma of vanilla and spice before galloping into notes of nougat, sweet corn, and a lingering caramel finish. It is actually very, very good whiskey. I put it right up there at the top of the list. So go check out Bangtail Whiskey at bangtail.com and get that bottle headed your way. We're also brought to you by Blind Grass. Uh, listen, if you're tired of constantly having to rebrush your A-frame, your layout blind, your boat, you need to check out Blind Grass at blindgrass.com. It's a synthetic grass. It goes right onto your blind. It does not rot. It does not mildew. Uh, It is a one-stop shop. You put it on there one time, and you do not have to worry about brushing your blind again. So check them out at blindgrass.com, and they have dry bags. If you're going to be out on a boat all summer, you can put your goods in the dry bag, and you don't have to worry about dropping your cell phone into the ocean. Uh, they got gun cases, so they kind of got whatever you're, whatever you're looking for. In addition to a very, very good-looking camouflage system, they've been working years to perfect how their camouflage looks. You can use it in multiple environments. They got different, uh, different colors and different blends 
for every scenario. So check them out at Blind Grass Camouflage System at blindgrass.com. We're also brought to you by Goose Creek Retrievers. If you've got that new puppy, if you want, uh, if you're wanting to send them off somewhere, have a professional handle them. Look no further than Goose Creek Retrievers. Matt Peel does a hell of a job up there. And uh, we're excited to have him on board. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's a fun guy to talk to. Even if even if you're training the dog yourself and you just need somebody to, you know, bounce ideas off of, Matt will be happy to answer any questions. Check him out, Goose Creek Retrievers. And uh, if you're in, like I said, if you're in the market for a new puppy or a new hunting dog, look them up, GooseCreekRetrievers.com. They're all over uh, social media. Got a hell of a program. And if you do have a new dog, then you need to check out Gundog Outdoors. They've got bumpers that they're really excited about. Uh, they've got a field trauma kit that I think everybody should put in their vehicle and in their hunting bag. And uh, the quick release system. Patented now. It's what I use every single day. Clip it onto my dog, Lou, and he is where I think he's going to be all the time until I pull that uh, pull the little lever and let him go. But no matter what level your dog is trained, I, I think uh, I think the quick release system is something that you should look into. It just takes all the guesswork out. So you clip him on there, and he's going to stay right where right where he's supposed to be. So the quick release system is something that I cannot recommend highly enough, and you can get that at gundogoutdoors.com. Uh, I mentioned the Squad Fest earlier. Coming up, June 11th and 12th, St. Louis, Missouri. It's the first major calling contest since COVID, and uh, it's going to be a great time. We're looking forward. We're going to be there. We hope to see all you guys there. Food trucks, cornhole, cold beer. It's going to be a great time, and we look forward to putting some faces to names. So we'll see you there June 11th and 12th. Are you going to be signing autographs? No. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll fist bump you. Okay. Fist bump you. I'm not shaking your hand. You probably got COVID. Would you sign some boobs? No. Nope. No boobs, none of that. Um, a baby's forehead. I'd sign a baby's forehead. Okay. But not a boob. Not a boob. But it is going to be a good time. You're putting on a hell of a deal. If you're a waterfowl hunter and you like calls, you just want to be around like-minded people, what a better place to be. I mean, it's, it's a waterfowl show. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Great products, great people. Get to see some neat people. Get to meet some people. Everybody in the industry just about is going to be there. Good time for everybody. Come out and see us. And the guys from the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast are going to be there. Yes. Mr. Logan Pyatt and Rebel Heron. Yep. That is our next sponsor. They are back, ladies and gentlemen. The The hiatus is over. You put enough pressure on them, Logan and Rebel folded like a bunch of cheap suits. Um, they're doing their bourbon review. It goes up. It's out there for everybody to listen to. And then the full episode, you have to be a, a Patreon member to get the full episode. But they are back. They're back up to their debauchery and uh, better than ever. So go check them out. You can get on their Patreon account, like, uh, Looking Glass Duck Club. Donate to that, and uh, you can get the episodes. But it's, uh, it's, it's glad that they're back. The waterfowl community is a lot better with them on the, on the airwaves. So we're happy that they're there, and you should go check them out. We're also brought to you by Pacific Custom Calls. We've got a promo code with them. BHP25 will save you 25%. Believe it or not, it is time to start stocking up and buying stuff for hunting season. It's going to be here before you know it. You need a new goose or duck call. They've got a new duck or goose call. You can use the promo code BHP25. Save yourself some money. They've got the best duck call that I've ever blown in the PCD. 
And they are retooling the 509, which is my go-to Canada call. So, a lot of cool things going on up there uh, in Spoke Compton. Pacific Custom Calls. Uh, Pacific Custom Calls is the website name, and you can use the promo code BHP25. Get you a hell of a goose call for this upcoming waterfowl season. We're also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. It only takes one. Bismuth is back in style. Uh, I cannot, can't tell you how much I love my boss. It is, it's a, it, it really is. It's a way of life. It's an old culture kind of deal. Uh, the boss Tom was a big hit this year. Takes those gobblers right off their feet. Um, be expecting it. Like, listen, if you're going to be ordering this stuff, you need to get on the ball and at least get them what you're wanting because word on the street is there might be uh, an ammo shortage towards the end of the year. And uh, I'd hate for you to be, going somewhere in January and not have any shells to shoot. Go to BossShotShells.com right now. Get your order in. Not going to hurt to have some in storage for when waterfowl season finally gets here. BossShotShells.com. We're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. If your coffee sucks, it's not the duck. High velocity is my favorite. They've got a Missouri Boat Ride coming out. I'm excited to try that. I think that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, Good-looking merchandise, too. Good-looking swag. They got a shirt that I, I really enjoy. Fits on me well. Shows off my guns that I'm working hard for. Still still not on the testosterone, but, you know, we're making it. Uh, Dirty Duck Coffee, it's the way I start my morning every single morning out here at the Big Honker Lodge. Cup of that and I'm ready to tackle the world, Jeff. But they've got a coffee for everybody, whether it's the uh, the Missouri boat ride that's coming out or they got a dark, they got a dark one, they got a... Uh, French roast. I got a Colombian blend. Like I said, my, my favorite is the high velocity caffeine straight into the straight into the thermos and then right down my gullet. Gives me the energy I need for a long day out in the field. So go check them out. DirtyDuckCoffee.com. I need a cup of coffee right now. Last but not least, we're brought to you by Lucky Duck. They're making uh, dog kennels for the big boys now. I saw that. Extra large one. Lou, Lou, Lou's going to be riding in style. Going to have plenty of room. Five-star crash test rated, all that good stuff, so you can feel confident in putting your pooch away in the new Lucky Duck dog kennel. Uh, they also make the best blind that I've ever sat in, the A-frame, two-by-four, four-grown men. If you're looking for an investment, I would look at the two-by-four blind. A-frames are the way to go. Get out of the spread. Uh, keeps, uh, keeps the bird's eyes off of you. They've also got the best spinners on the market. They're waterproof, so you don't have to worry about having a little oopsie and uh, knocking one over and it not working anymore. So go check them out, Lucky Duck, luckyduck.com. All right, and on this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Split Read content creator, Split Read article writer, uh, Mr. Ryan Barnes. He is the one that gave me the nice moniker of the world-famous Andy Shaver that we've had a lot of fun with the last couple of months. Um, This is a very fun podcast. We enjoy talking to him. Uh, Split Read is just blowing up. It's everywhere now. And uh, being able to talk to one of the guys that's creating content on that site was a lot of fun. So we hope that you enjoy it. Here we go, Ryan Barnes.
All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Dive Bomb Industries. I am Jeff Stanfield with the world famous Andy Shaver. You got a salute now. And with us today is the man who coined the world famous <laughs> from Lehigh, Utah, and Split Read, Mr. Ryan Barnes. Ryan, I personally want to thank you so much for this world famous Andy Shaver stuff. You guys are so welcome for that. I, it's it's become a trend, and I'm so happy I was able to send it. Yeah, you uh, you started something, all right. That's that's right. Uh, we had. Uh, Brandon Sarecki on with Boss last week, and he said, you know, if that's in print, he's like, that's impressive. I was like, oh, it's fucking, it's out there, bud. <laughs> but you have, you, you've started a trend here at the Big Honker, so we, we, we appreciate it. You, you know that uh, not only has it been kind of coined, I guess, or kind of, kind of rolled with it, but Andy's actually had some haters on this that say he's not famous. Now, you know well, you're... I don't... You know, you're, it's what funny when. would say that, uh, man. It, it's funny because the guy has that much hate to Andy to message him to tell him he's not world fucking famous. <laughs> oh, t- well, tell him to get bent, man. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, well, thank, thanks a lot. Uh, you know. So before we got on air, we were talking to you and we were discussing college softball, girls' college softball. And we were talking about the little girl from Oklahoma that hit three homers, good looking little gal. And you've coached and been around these girls a lot. And you say it's 50-50 on the good-looking girls if they're straight or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I spent some time at the University of Utah with their uh, with their softball program. And, you know, I'm in – that's the Pac-12 conference, one of the more dominant conferences in softball. So I got to know, you know, quite a few of the different uh, programs. And I would say that, you know – at least 50% of the girls in today's game are, are still lesbian. Um, <laughs> even though they tried to kind of derive out of that narrative, but still 50% are out of the closet lesbos. Um, and then the other 50% are either by trying it or they are still, you know, willing to, willing to, to munch a little carpet here and there. <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, about a decade ago, when I first started watching um, softball, there was a hot chick from the University of Arizona. She was a pitcher, and she had a bow in her hair. So I was like, okay, this bitch is straight. And, like, I, a couple years ago, I was watching the softball tournament and looked her up on Instagram, fucking carpet muncher. She turned carpet <laughs> it muncher. It breaks your heart, man. She, you, you get, you start watching. You're like, oh shit, man, she is so hot. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh damn, Dyke, that no, sucks. Can't do it. You what know, was her? I think her name was like Moff Moffitt, Taryn Moffitt, or something. She was good looking, blonde hair, long blonde hair, pitcher, nice ass. I'm like, oh yeah, she's got who, a bow in her hair. She's on my team. Who's the? I chick, got a shot at her. <laughs> who's the chick from Texas? Cat Osterman was that her name? There was a pitcher. Yeah. yeah, pitcher. She was good looking too. She's straighter. I have no clue. I'm past the age no, of looking up. It don't really matter to me. Oh. I think cat I think cat's well, like I say, you never on know. On the surface, I think she's on the straight. Surface. I, I don't know what she's tried, but I think cat <laughs> uh, I think she bats from the right side. What about that one girl, the uh Olympian that always did commentary? Jenny Finch? No, no, no. I bet she's lesbian. Uh, Mendoza, oh, Finch Men- is, Mendez Finch is married and has kids. Oh, there you she? go, Andy. There you are, you judgmental oh, bastard. Man. She's not very good looking. Mendoza, Mendez, I thought was her name. I don't. I don't uh, know. Jessica Mendoza. I don't know. Flip a coin on that one. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't tell you. You know, it's funny that they, they sh- the girl from Oklahoma that pitched the big 
beefy girl that's got the same glasses that I wear. If you see me on YouTube, you'd see that me and her had the same glasses. She was pitching in them the other day. She uh, she had her own cheering squad over there, and there ain't none of them girls taking any pecker nowhere. I'm telling really? you right now. No, the whole the whole lot of them. They were. I mean, it's it is obvious. I mean, there there was no doubt when they would pan the crowd and they'd show people in the crowd going crazy. Other than the parents, you know, you see the mom and the dad together, but then everybody else. They're all they're all big fans of softball. I'm surprised that they can get anybody to do that anymore because there's nowhere to go after. Like there's no professional sport that's going to pay worth college. Shit. Well, that's true too. Well, but they, I mean, there's just it, you cap out, you're done. They tried to start like a, a professional softball league, um, and like have like almost like glorified club teams, mm-hmm. but then they realized like what. No one. There's no revenue for it. Yeah. There's no. There's nobody that's going to pay, you know, high ticket prices to go and watch, you know, a bunch of spread out teams that are going to play five different teams a year. There's no market for it, and so it just. They've tried it twice. I I believe twice, and both of the times it's died. Could we you, look at the the, the WNBA. WNBA. They've got the NBA back in them. Ain't no guys want to watch some chick that's just one dick short of being a man try to play basketball. There's nothing exciting about that shit. <laughs> I mean, there's not. No. I don't watch the NBA. I damn sure ain't going to watch the WNBA. You know? Yeah, d- it's – there's just – unfortunately, there's not there's not a market for it. And like you said, I mean, the NBA has gone to pot so bad. Who the hell – no one watched the WNBA before. No. And now they're they're pushing it so hard uh, for the WNBA and, and all the, the equal pay shit. And it's like, you guys don't put a product on the floor that anybody wants to pay for. But You're see, no, definitely not going to be able to get paid equally. What you, what you just said is exactly what they won't tell them. You don't put a product out there that's, that requires that kind of capital. Nobody gives a shit. It, I don't like basketball. I, I, I used to like basketball. I'm not a fan of the NBA now. If the Lakers and the Clippers played at Knox City's gym, you could, you could fill that son of a bitch up even in Knox City, which is not a big basketball town. If the WNBA girls were playing down there, there wouldn't be 30 people go to down there to watch them. Nobody gives a shit. And, no. I mean, it's just, it's just not a very good product. Girls softball is a really good product. That is the best product that girls that in girls athletics, I think. I think it's – I don't like girls basketball, but girls softball is a good game, and I'll watch it, and I will watch it tonight if they play. And they're going to play gonna tonight because of no rain delays. But I think it's a good game. It's a lot of strategy to it, and, and I really enjoy it. And the little girl that pitches for James Madison, that little black girl, I can't think of her name, D, 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 uh, whatever her name is, that little gal played a hell of a game against Oklahoma State the other day when she got that girl out at home that was on that bunt. Great, one of the best yeah, athletic plays of the year. Of, she's talented, man. She's very she talented. Throws well, athletic, and yeah, it's fun to it's fun to watch her play the game. Yep, and she got a free education, and that's the end of it because there's nowhere to go after that, and good for her. Well, I mean, I guess you, the Olympics. Do the Olympics have a girls' softball team? Because Mendoza, she yes. played, she played on it. So, but I mean, that's every four years. Well, and I guess the rumor is is uh, they're they're trying the the Olympics or Team USA is trying to put a bid in to get the Olympics into the uh, the 2020 or USA is trying to get softball into the 2028 Olympics. And it got shot down. Oh. So I think they're going another cycle or however long it takes and no more. They're still not going to have softball. They turned it down and some of the bullshit sports they have up there right now. Synchronized fucking swimming. Seriously. 
Yeah, honestly. I mean, who I the mean, fuck wakes up and says, I want to see that? Such a such a better product than what they've got. I mean, like, what is it? They've got skateboarding in there, but they can't mm-hmm. put, you know, yeah. women's softball in there, which, which would actually draw a crowd. You know, it's, it's kind of like curling. I enjoy curling. That's probably my favorite winter sport because I can relate to that because it's like, a fat guy could do that shit. You don't have to be a world-class <laughs> athlete to throw a fucking puck down an ice deal. So I can relate to curling. I like the skiing because I want to see some fucker crash. But synchronized swimming, men's fucking uh, figure skating. Who in the that, – that, that is, by gosh, should be a sport in the month. That's a pride month sport for sure. <laughs> you, talk about, uh, you talk about all the girls that are lesbians in the game of softball. How many guys that are figure skaters do you think are straight? I'm gonna bet it's I'm gonna bet it's a low number, <laughs> less than ten percent. <laughs> yeah, I'm going low. I, how long until we have pairs figure skating that's gonna be man and man? In the oh, world we shit. live in now, it's coming. Oh, I guarantee it. What was that show? Blades of Glory or Bla- yeah. Blades Blade, of Glory? Blades of Glory. Yeah, yeah. Those, they're trendsetters. They didn't know it. Because so, so the reason we're talking about softball, you play you play men's fast pitch softball. Um, is there yeah. the strategy in it that uh, that you see in the at the college level, like bunting and all that good shit in your league? Well, it's it's different because all of us are, you know, ex college players, ex even MLB players. Wow! And so a lot of them, you know, we're we're up there pretty much free swinging, and you know, a lot of the girls they're throwing a, a good women's college pitcher is throwing about 70 to 72 yeah a good men's pitcher is throwing anywhere from 81 to 84 holy shit and, and, and I, it's 60 feet just like in the women's it's 60 feet no, right? so the what's the pitchers the, the women throw the women throw it 42 feet i guess men throw it 46 46 feet regular it's baseball 60, 66 but it's 60 to first base isn't it and it's 90 in yeah. regular baseball yeah. that's where i'm getting that from Regular no regular baseball pitchers mound is sixty foot six inches. I'm talking inches. to first base. I was thinking yeah, first base. ninety foot. I fucked up. So uh, go figure. What are the chances? How, how, what are the percentage of men that like pussy that play soft fast pitch softballs? About ninety percent, ninety nine. No, dude, 100. fucking all of them. It's, <laughs> it's, no, you've got of, you've got one of them. A lot of dudes walk away from those tournaments with a lot of diseases. That they get. <laughs> <laughs> we in fact, so just this last tournament I was at. Um, there was a guy that he, he went to the bar, picked up a hooker, mm. comes home and, uh, you know, whatever happens that night happens. He rolls up to the field. This is on the team that we're playing against. He rolls up to the field, no wallet, no <laughs> phone, no Jersey, no hat, no nothing. He's just in his shorts <laughs> and undershirt. The hooker took all of his shit because he was so blacked out drunk. She just, I mean, they do whatever they got to do. He gets his kinks out, and then she just must have taken his bag and walked out with it. And there's a lot of those stories that go on because these guys are, you know, coming from all over the world, or at least right now from whatever countries they can get in from. And, you know, he comes in, tries to get his, uh, you know, tries, tries to get his dick wet, and Ends up getting robbed. <laughs> I got, I got a friend of ours that hunts with us. He's a he he's a paramedic in Dallas, and he went to a call one time where it was a code blue and got there, and there was some guy, rolled some businessman rolled up on a bed in the hotel, and he's fucking 
you know, they're starting to pump on him. This lady's crying and stuff. He said, ma'am, 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 we'll just go out of the room. We'll try to get him sent. Okay, here. Greg gives the wallet to the lady. He says, here, hold your husband's wallet. We'll work on him and stuff. So the cop gets there, and cop goes, does he have any ID? He goes, well, I gave his wife the wallet. He goes, his wife? He goes, yeah. He goes, where's she at? He goes, she's around here. Bingo. It was some fucking hooker. The guy was with the room and a hooker, and the fireman gave the hooker the wallet and told her to go on out of the room. Off she went. <laughs> so – We'll go back to softball for just a second. Now, the girls, they don't crowd the plate like at third and first. And men's, the third baseman will come all the way down the freaking line, don't Fuck they? Fuck that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it because it, you kind of have to. You know, guys, you'll have guys that will be able to hit one down the line, absolutely just an absolute rocket, and they'll also be able to drop a bunt for a base hit just like that, and it's no problem. So you gotta you gotta be willing to to get right inside the fire. Like um, I mentioned earlier, my dad played, uh, and he was a third baseman. I'm a catcher, but my dad was playing third back when he was when he was you know right in the heat of it, and he was facing a an, a New Zealander that could absolutely just rock the ball, and he hit a line shot down the third base line that my dad just had no shot at catching and it hit him in the kneecap and just exploded it. Oh, fuck. Oh. So yeah, it's, uh, everything, everything at the men's level is, you know, a little bit magnified mm-hmm. or I guess, you know, bigger, uh, just because one, we use bats that are a little bit, a little bit more juice. The ball is a little bit harder. So everything comes off the bat faster. Everything's thrown faster and everything's hit harder. So, you know, like one dude, I was at a tournament back in 2018 and there was a guy that got hit in the head <laughs> and it literally took half of his face, like the skin on his face, just completely off. The, oh. the medics had to come to the field get him off the stretcher and like clean all the shit out of his face from the mm. dirt. It's, it can be pretty dangerous. Not like, it's not like hockey out there, right. We're not just, you know, out there fucking shit up, but you know, it's things not- are, things are flying real fast off the bat. And if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, it can do some damage. That was a big sport after world war two. Because that was a big military sport. Men's fast pitch Men's softball. Men's fast pitch softball. And they played it all over. And it just kind of, it's like everything else. It's kind of, it's places went out. And then guys like me played slow pitch softball. So I'm assuming when you see a slow pitch softball game, you look down on them guys. You're don't a little you? bored. Well, it's. Uh, yes, they, you do. There's a time and a place, right? Because there's some <laughs> slow pitch softball guys that are unbelievably talented. But then there's also some slow pitch softball guys that. You know, you look at one game and you're like, dude, come on. I like, think of it as like a this beer is league. Rough. It's beer league. Yeah. It's what it is, slow pitch softball. And, and a lot of guys are living their dreams out and they think they're playing in the majors when they're playing slow pitch. They're I played, get hurt. I played with a guy that was a big old fat guy, big, big fat guy. Well, he was a little short fat guy, but he had big old belly on him. And some guy hollered one time, hey, let that other fucker out of your shirt. Let him pitch a few times. <laughs> 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 oh, he got fucking mad as hell. And we all laughed. We thought it was pretty funny, but. See, we played. There's been a couple times, a couple different leagues here in Knox City, and but we just play at the little league field, so it's like condensed. So it sounds like fast pitch softball. Like you're a little bit more spread out, but it was just fucking grown men on top of one another. And I played one game, and I was running in from like second base. Guy hit it. He had a double, and I was going home. And there was a former. Well, it was Quentin's brother, Robert. He played Division One college football. Yeah, and All American in track. He was playing center field, and he got that ball, and he threw it in from the fucking fence. 
and it missed my head by about four or five inches. And that motherfucker <laughs> was humming. Yeah, but he had I not looked because I kind of peeked back around to see like if I needed to slide or what it was. So I saw the ball leave his hand, and motherfucker was humming, humming. Went over the catcher's head, luckily, but it almost got me. He, he was a major. He was he was a professional athlete, talented. He's a kid that played one year of 11-man football, went to Abilene High. Cause they got a movie coming out right now about that team. Uh, That'll be him? Yeah, what's, what was the name of that movie? I can't remember. But anyways, he was on that team that didn't win state the year before, but played one year 11-man football and went to Arizona State on a full ride as a wide receiver. That's how good an athlete this kid is. Yeah. But you get guys like that in your league, but there's a lot of slow-pitch leagues that got tremendous athletes around. Oh, oh, but I remember we don't wear helmets. You know, in slow-pitch softball, you don't wear a fucking helmet. So, like, had it hit me, shit, it'd have been a bad deal. You wouldn't be the world-famous Andy Shaver now. Probably caught me in my temple. Have you seen the movie Simon Birch? Little short. I have. Oh, fuck. You got to find Simon Birch. It's one of the best movies out there. It's a tearjerker at the end, but it's a funny fucking movie. It's about a midget, and, like, he wants to be, like, a normal kid, and... uh, Ashley Judd's his mom. Ashley Judd's his mom, Woo. but she catches a baseball off of the temple at a little league game, and that's all you're that telling, I. You're telling the whole movie. That's all that I could envision was that I was going to take a big old softball off my temple, and I was going to be like Ashley Judd and Simon Birch. So go check out Simon Birch; it's a good show. So let's talk. We'll, we'll get. Out, let's talk about the world famous Andy Shaver. Did you have a? You were going to stir up so much shit when you gave him that name. Dude, I had no idea. I was uh, so so. Andy, I'm sorry for all the shit that that's that's created. Like I, like I told I was, you, I, I was I was writing this article. You know, I'd, I'd finished up my interview. I finished up my interview with Jesse, and I'm typing all this stuff out. And I was like, well, I mean, Andy's on one of the most successful podcasts that that I think most of us know about. I'm going to just throw this in there as kind of a, a, an introduction that leads into the rest of the, that leads into the rest of the article and holy fuck, the rest of it just exploded. And the article did very, very well. It was, I mean, up to the, up to the, the 30 days that it was released, it was the most successful article on, on the website. Mm-hmm. And I just, oh, the, the crucifixion of Andy was <laughs> on, dude. It was, it was funny, yeah. but I didn't, uh, I didn't mean to get Andy pegged as the, uh, the world famous Andy Shaver, not saying he's not, but I, uh, I didn't mean to get him that, uh, that, that, that sarcastic title. I, I think it's been great. First of all, if we're going to be honest, we are the number one waterfowl podcast by a long way. I look at the numbers. We are way, way, way out there. And we have good friends that have podcasts. I'd wish them the best. I don't have no problem with that at all. But Andy is at a different level than most everybody else is in the Waterfowl podcast world. And that, That's a little tacky of you to say. Why, why is that tacky? It just is. Uh, you got to be humble, Jeff. Um, I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about myself. I'm no. just fucking plain old Jeff. Mm-hmm. But like I told you, had it not been that, it would have been something else in there that they would have just merciful, like fucking hyenas with a bone. They would have found it and they would have exploited it. So, I mean, had it not been that, it would have been something else, I'm sure. Well, we're in open books, so we open ourselves up to a lot of that shit. Yeah. So, so yeah. tell us about Split Read. What's going on? A lot, man. We're between all the partnerships and, and outfitters that we're working with and then all of the, uh, the different content we're working on with articles there's a lot of stuff that we're doing it's always it was split read when people come up to me and they're like hey so what what exactly is split read 
it's like it's a lot of things it's a lot of from media marketing to hunt booking to content we've got our hands in a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. um so like for me I'm a journalist. I control all of the, uh, you know, I, I'm in charge of all of the, the articles that get put out. Um, so if anyone's read anything that you don't like, you can <laughs> direct that at me, you know, tell me how much you hate it and I'll, I'll make sure we, we do better. But, um, you know, like we, we try to make sure that we get people out to on certain hunts or to certain places to get, you know, quality content for them. And, um, <clears throat> website design's a big thing as of recently and just making sure that, uh, you know, the brands that we've partnered with are, you know, really up to that top tier of, of marketing and making sure that they're, um, you know, getting the most for, for the product that they're putting out. And we try to try to really help them out with that. I look at some of the companies that you partner with and I'm like, it's like every week. Like you've got another big announcement. Split Read is just constantly expanding. Like you, you had Browning on board not too long ago, a couple months ago. You announced that Browning was on board, and you know now you got a full time marketing director. And it's just it, it's exciting to see you guys, you know, blowing up the way that uh, the way that you are. Yeah, that and that that thing was that part was really cool for me because I got on board with Split Read back in tw- the spring of 2018. And I mean, they were, it was still just Nick and a few of his, a few friends that were, were running it. Well, it was basically just like an Instagram page at that time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much at that point, it was just a a glorified Instagram page. Mm -hmm. And they, they asked, or I saw something that said, you know, Hey, we're looking for a writer at that point in time. That's what I had just finished up in school studying and, you know, that had been my, my first job was writing for our local newspaper. So like, well, it's what I'm good at. I might as well give it a shot. And so I typed up an article about, you know, contest calling and does it make you a better hunter? And I, I typed it all up, sent it in to the, their, their account. And I didn't hear anything back for, you know, a couple of weeks. And I was like, Oh, well, Oh well, I guess uh, I guess they decided to go a different direction. No big deal. And I, my wife and I at the time, we didn't work. I guess she's my fiance, but my fiance, soon to be wife, didn't work that far far apart from each other. I was meeting her for lunch, and I'm getting ready and I'm going through uh, Instagram, and I see that Split Read had used the article. I mean, what the hell? Mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't too upset, you know, it's kind of cool that they published it, but I was getting ready to send a message, just a, a DM to them, and like, I don't care that you use the article, I think it's kind of cool, but maybe a little props or credit would be would be in order, and as I'm typing up the message, I get a call, and it was from, from, Dun- uh, from Duncan McLeod, who just said, hey, uh, we actually, we really like this article, sorry we didn't get back to you sooner. Would do you would you have any interest in doing this you know for us full time, or at least being on retainer? And I yeah sure I'd love to. And he's like obviously you know we're just a startup. It's not like you can do this as a full time job. We wouldn't be able to pay enough. I was like I totally understand. It's all good. I've got a full time job. We can make it work. And so I told him yes. And he said all right cool. Uh, Nick Costas is going to be giving you a call in just a little bit to kind of run things over with you. And at this time, my wife, she shows up and she's looking at me like, 
are we going to have lunch anytime soon? Do I need to go order? What's going on? And so Nick calls me. And I, so I start talking to Nick and, you know, Nick can talk. Mm-hmm. So I, I talk to him for probably an hour and my wife gets her food, eats. I don't even share a word with her. She goes back to work. Hey, sorry, <laughs> my bad. Um, and then, you know, kind of from that point on, I wrote a few articles here and there with them. I think my next article after that, I did an interview with uh, Kurt McCullough. And then, like, two op-eds. And the problem was, like, starting out with the op-eds, because the interview part, that was kind of easy because it just went in, and I was like, okay, I'll just do a Q&A, ask them a few questions, type it out what they said, and that part's done. The op-eds were a little bit like, I guess I got to just type out what I'm feeling that day and hope it works. Mm -hmm. And those were, like, a few of them didn't even get published because they were just flops. And then you kind of, I kind of got into a groove of like, okay, well, so this is, this is the writing style I need to follow. This is what I need to do. This is what creates a, a more readable article that isn't gonna just completely piss everyone off, or maybe it will piss everyone off. That's what we're kind of going for with this one, or something. And uh, it got to the point where, you know, the article started to be pretty successful, and we started to bring more writers on. And with that in tow, we were able to, you know, create a little bit more content and bring bring some brands on. And, you know, in the, the three years that Split Read's really been a thing, we've really, really, really started to grow. So that's been exciting to watch. So when you say that it didn't get – like you submitted it and, and Split Read just decided not to publish the, the article, the op-ed? Yeah. Yeah, so I remember, like, I wrote an article about um, – like the commercialization of waterfowl hunting and just, you know, kind of the dangers of that. And it was something that I felt pretty passionate about. And I turned it in and I remember Nick, he sent me a message that was like, yeah, we're, we're not going to go that route. That's this, this is way, way off base of what we need to, what we need to be putting out there. And I, I typed up another one. It was an interview with. It was an interview with a certain call maker, um, and we didn't. I I called him and he said, "Look, I don't want to discuss certain things. That's totally fine. We can, you know, stick to this side of, of what you what you've done, what you've accomplished." And I turned that in, and Nick said, "Look." That's not why we put you on that interview. We don't want to publish this one either. This, the reason we have this and the reason we put you on these articles is because we want to, to put out this type of story and, you know, have, you know, X amount of, you know, visits. I, that makes it sound like we're chasing clickbait, but we're, we're not. Well, I mean, we're but, but put out- you're in it for a business, though. Like, you're in it for brand. Like, you want people to click on your shit, though. So, you know. And, and that's true. You know, it, it's not like we're out there you know, being some phony, you know, misprinted title and sending right, it to some right, bullshit right. website. Right. But we really do want to put out a, a decent article that people are going to have interest in clicking on. And the the first few articles I wrote after my first one were, you know, probably not that caliber. Mm-hmm. And so then, then it kind of got to the point where it's like, okay, now I think we now I think we got it, and then things kind of started to take off from there. 
That's uh, that's interesting though that you wrote an article that instantly got picked up, and then your next couple were were flops. Were you ever like, oh shit, did I just catch lightning in a bottle with that first one, or or do I actually have a talent here to where I can be a writer? No, that's a great question because I after my second article, well, because the Kurt McCola one went fine, but that was just like a you know on a silver platter Q and A type deal, right? But after my second article went in that they just said, no, we're, we're not doing this, I did kind of hit the I, I hit the panic button, <laughs> like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know, maybe this maybe this isn't for me. Maybe they're going to give me the ax. I don't know. Um, and I actually, I had a conversation with them when they kind of, you know, I guess promoted me up to do, you know, the position that I'm at now. Um, you know, it, the, the conversation was along the lines of, you know, we've seen – your writing come a long way from from where you started. And so I was like, oh, they must have thought that when I started out, things were obviously a little bit rough. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, and, and in all honesty, it probably was. So to to get to the point of where I'm at now and, and putting out four articles a month for them, it's, you know, it's paying off. And, and I hope to keep moving forward with that and, keep seeing split read grow but that's important though like you gotta suck for a little while like listen i go back and i listen to some of our early podcasts they're Ooh, fucking cring- terrible cringeworthy oh terrible but if you just stop <laughs> just because like oh well that wasn't my best well you know you're not gonna get any better so like put out take your lumps if you fuck up admit it if it if it's not bad get better but i mean that's important and that's what a lot of people you know they don't have today you know if they if they if they think it's going to be just remotely challenging, they won't even they won't even attempt it, or they'll attempt it for a little bit, but they'll go away. But if you're going to have success in anything, whether it's writing or podcasting or contest calling, or it's just like baseball, the more attempts at the plate you can have, the better you're going to be. Are you? Uh, oh yeah. Are the world needs another Nash Buckingham? Are you going to write more? Are you going to write a book? You know, in all honesty, that is my goal. I. It, and I've been approached by some people to to go and do like a, a biography or you know some something along those lines, but I would love to be you know that sort that sort of Nash Buckingham you know Jack O'Connor type writer. I think that would just be, I mean the pinnacle. In, in my eyes, that's the pinnacle of writing. You know, getting out there and putting out those publications, um, but. I don't, I, I don't think we're to that point yet. We'll probably just keep putting out the articles and then wait a little bit and then, then probably pursue that. We, we need a, a, a writer to write like the Deschutinous gentleman, you know, where it sets a trend of being in the 50s or 40s in Wisconsin or Minnesota and the hunting and the weather and it cold. And, because when you read those books – you can you're there. You're sitting in that old that old suburban with him, with the heater cranked up, going like an old car would be, and the hot thermos, and you can feel the, the the hear the ice hitting the windshield and stuff. And you don't have that no more. It's there's very few outdoor riders that I know of that give that that anymore. And we need that something to read all the time that can escape a good book escape you from reality. And, oh, I I couldn't agree more. But you want to, in all honesty, and and Worth Matthewson, he's still. He still uh, he still writes a little bit, I believe. Like he put out a book recently called, uh, I believe it was called Big December Canvasbacks or something. I read that a while back and it was pretty good. 
Um, but the the thing on my end that I think is pretty sad is if you were to ask somebody, like you know, I'm I'm 24 years old. If you were to ask most hunters my age who who Nash Buckingham is, who Gene Hill is, unfortunately, probably even who Ernest Hemingway is, they wouldn't have a fucking clue. No, they wouldn't. And they, they wouldn't know what what they wrote. They wouldn't know they were probably even authors, and that's a. I mean, that's kind of a sad commentary on where we're at because unless it's on their phone and unless they can see it immediately in front of them, I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, they've got to wipe off the water droplets on their phone to check an app to see if it's rainy, and that's, <laughs> you know, they they don't have the ability to go and read a book. It's it's kind of sad. Me and me and Andy are both readers, and we we have different tastes and stuff. But my favorite author is a guy named Clive Cussler, and fiction, yeah. And his fa- his most famous book is probably Sahara because they made a movie out of it with Matthew McConaughey. But he's got that was a, that was a Clive Cussler book. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's got a hundred hundred books, and I've read every one of them, and I like them because there's a little bit of history in there, and you learn a little bit. But kids today, you're right; they don't read, and there's people my age that don't read often. You know, and damn sure not Andy's age and your age that read a lot, but I read all the time. Now, a lot of it is on a laptop, but I read, and I like to read, and I enjoy it, and we need more of that, but we need people, like you said, the water droplets is the best fucking thing I've heard in a long time, but they need to get off their phones and start reading more, you know? it's free. Reading is a free education is all it is. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a niche market, though. Not many people read. And, and I think the number's declining every year. You know, complex, complex material. I mean, everybody reads taking a shit, you know, scrolling through Facebook. But complex okay. stuff, I think. I think When's the uh, last time you've been in a bookstore? Oh, I think those are gone. Uh, Barnes & Nobles are still open, I'm assuming. But I haven't been in a Barnes & Noble in two or three years. That no, I used go to be my I, favorite place to go. Amazon, baby. Well, that's where I buy I my that, books. I get at that too. book two days later. Yep, and that's where I go now too. But I used to go to when we would go to the city, we would go to Barnes and Noble, and that was yeah. my favorite place to go to. And you just don't do it anymore. Well, Ryan, you should write a book, collection of just short stories. It. Just do it, Ryan. You should just write a book. Well, I, I tell you what, I'll I'll jump on it because that's <laughs> I mean that's the goal. That's the goal, and I uh, there's plenty of ideas working. I would love to write a book, and then that's that's the end game. Um, I've wrote four books. I had one that I self-published that was absolutely horrible publishing part. I, I should have went with someone else. And I've got three others that I've written that I haven't quite finished. And I don't know if I'll ever finish them. But I like to write, too. But I just write. But don't, don't do like I did. Go finish the damn things once you start. So with the uh, back to you interview the call maker, did, what, what was wrong with that article that, that they didn't like? Did he just not divulge enough information? Like, was it, or was it just what everybody had already known about the call maker? Well, so it was, I mean, it was what everyone knew about the call maker. But is that why um, they didn't publish it? Just because there's nothing interesting well, here? I guess, sorry, I, I worded that wrong. It was, they wanted me to go get the story behind what everyone thought they knew about the call maker right you know what what he had done wrong his side of the story mm-hmm. you know to go get the details that that hadn't been floated out there yet and he told me straight up on the phone call he's like look i probably know why you're calling i don't want to i don't want to talk about it i'll come out with it in its own due time it's not coming through you but, you know what do you say to that like yeah well, what are you supposed to do that <laughs> 
I can't, you know, I, I've got to honor the man's wishes. Right. And so we talked about goose hunting. We talked about the process of him getting into the call making company. And I'm sure most people probably know who I'm talking about at this point. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And it's like the dude had a great story up to that point, mm-hmm. but it wasn't what, it wasn't what split read wanted. They wanted an article that, you know, really had him putting out his or airing out really the dirty laundry. Right. And he didn't want to do it. And in, in, in certain aspects, I don't blame him, but, uh, yeah. And then, you know, split and then they weren't, I, I, I don't want to paint them in a bad light at all. They were, you know, they just said, look, that's not the story we were wanting. So we don't want to, we don't want to put it out there. Right. No, I look, I understand both sides. I understand Split read side because you know they 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 want a certain story, and then you know if the guy didn't want to give this information, like you're kind of in the middle. Like, well, that's why I'm here, buddy. Like, we're I, yeah, I want to talk to you about this. Like, this is what makes you interesting right now. So it's tough. We've had a couple of those. Probably the same guy. I'll, I'll, there there'll be a there'll be a YouTube series come out, and everybody will find out then. It's like, why the fuck are you on here? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah, I it's it, it is it's it, and you know the, the, his his story is because what what bits and pieces I gathered of it it, it if, if it's as crazy as well one I think people don't think it's or people think it's either a lot crazier than it really is right or yeah I don't know it it's Quite, it was it was quite a quite an interesting experience. It was a really cool interview, but then obviously the article Just didn't, didn't go it. anywhere. So how? Where, go ahead, Andy. How do you? Uh, how long is it? So you do four articles a month for Split Read. How long does it take you uh, to to finish one? Like, are you banging out one a week, or do, are you like got so many in the can that you're set up for a while? It depends. Uh, so if I'm doing an interview. Usually I can turn around an interview in about a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's if I'm doing just a, a, like a, a brand marketing article, I can punch that out in a day or two. Um, and then there's certain articles that you know I, I've gotten queue, line them up, send them out as needed. But uh, like there's there are certain certain interview articles where, you know, you got to be a little bit of a journalist, take some time, study up, adjust your questions accordingly, get it all out, get the interview done. And then I actually, like, I, I record the interview, and then I type up my my article as I'm listening to the interview, bounce back and forth. So usually when I type up an, an, an interview article, it's it's a three day process to even get it on the paper. And then after that, you know, you go through the revisions and you send it back to the person to make sure it gets there. Okay. And then from that point you go through another set of revisions back to them. So yeah, after all of that said and done, it's about a, a week to a week and a half to get that all finished up and buttoned up. You got to be tired of hearing that fucking interview by the time you're done with it. You, you know, there, yeah. Yeah. There's a few. There's a few where it's just like, "Fuck, we're starting this again." <laughs> All right. Um, but then there's others where it's like, 
I, I, they're, cause they're fun. They're lighthearted. Um, and it's, it's really enjoyable. I could listen to them all day long. It's like right. listening to your guys' podcast. They're really, really fun. Um, I did an interview with the, well, I'll give you, so I did an interview with a, a guy at an ammunition company mm-hmm. and I had, I had like 11, I tried to go in with about 11, 10 to 11 questions. Cause that's more than enough to get me a good, a good conversation with a lot of information to pull from. So it's, you know, an enjoyable read. I blasted through these 11 questions with this guy in like 20 minutes (laughs) and it was like, okay, well, because, you know, I'd be like, so why do you do this? And he had some like scientific answer with everything and like, oh, okay, what about (laughs) this? And another scientific answer and he was done. Yeah. I I can't create conversation with that. I'm no scientist. I don't know shit about fuck when it comes to that (laughs) stuff. And so I'm like, by the end of the conversation, I'm like, well, I, I, there's no room for small talk here. I've got all the info I want. So, all right, you have a great day, and I'll, uh, I'll do my best to crank out all these numbers and go back to my fifth-grade science fair project. <laughs> yeah. Um, luckily with this, like, I kind of I watch everything, like, as we're doing it. So, like, editing, there's not a whole lot of editing to do with this. Like, I'll... I'll, I'll like volume levels and shit like that. I don't mess with any of that. Like I've got everything set and I just roll with it. So like I kind of, I don't have much editing to where I like, I got to listen from start to finish. I could only imagine if I've got to hear the same interview three or four times so that I could make sure I typed it out just right. I would, I'd lose my mind on some of the people. There, like back when I did the Q and A's and it was okay. Pause it, type it out. Mm-hmm. Unpause. Mm-hmm pause, type it out. That got old. That was pretty monotonous. And yeah. then, you know, that took a while. And then it got to the point where unless I like specifically know I'm going to do a Q&A session, then I'll shorten up the questions because like I, I did one with Hunter Grounds. Mm-hmm. Love the interview. Hunter is a great guy. Absolute stud. Amazing dude to interview. Um, but I... And, and me being, you know, avid goose hunter, contest caller, that interview with Hunter was amazing. But I asked him, I had like 15 questions that I wanted to ask. And he was, he was long-winded about all of them, which was great because it was a lot of good information. But I set it up like a Q&A. And so I've got like this six-page six article with two hours worth of Q&A stuff. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, this is a, this is a novel. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, and people, people read it. It did well, mm-hmm. but yeah, that one was, that took a while to get through, but I mean, it was a, it was still a phenomenal fun article to do, but that was, that was a long one to just sit there and take pause. What did he say? Unpause. Oh shit. I messed it up. <laughs> go back, go back, go back, started over. Pause. So I, I try to, I try to steer away from those ones anymore. That's been that's been the coolest part of this, and you you and I are kind of the same on this. Like you talk to these people that you know you've idolized for so long, and yeah. like you talk to them, and they're you know they're telling you all about it. And like, there's been a couple of times where I'm like, am I really talking to this dude? Like, is he really, you know, like like are we are we having a conversation right now? So is he really sitting right next to me. So it yeah. <laughs> 
he's not full of himself at all. But it is cool talking to some of these giants of the industry and, you know, having a conversation with them and, you know, learning a little bit, learning, learning a little bit more about them. The waterfowl industry used to be a really a small circle from, especially when I first got into this, it was a real small circle. Shit, now there's, hell, I don't know. I've seen five or ten new outfitters this year that sprang up in Oklahoma. I don't even know who they are. So it's getting to be more dilute, diluted, I guess. It's, there's more of them now, but it's still a small circle when you talk about the big boys. You know, like you dealing with oh, Hunter. Yeah. Well, I knew Tim 30-something years ago. He was the first guest big-name guy really in the waterfowl business. Probably. And that, and Tim was really a good guy, and I knew Tim a long time ago. But it, it's weird how that circle has gotten so much bigger, but still a lot of the same pieces that are still there. And I like your I like your series with the guides that you have on and you talk to from different areas. And you've had Josh Stoner's been on there with you, and you had Brian Richter, fat guy from Oklahoma, has been on there a little bit. And I did both those interviews. Yeah, and I and I think the world of both of those guys. And I enjoy reading about people that are working at different outfitters. I've enjoyed. We've stepped up and had other outfitters have been on here lately, and I really and it's like our guides. We've gotten away from our public land. We haven't done one of them in a while, but I like talking to people that hunt different places to learn the different ways they do things, and and everything that goes with it. Where are you going this year to hunt? Me? Yes. Oh, duh. Who else would you be talking to? <laughs> um, I know where Andy's yes. going. Texas, Texas, <laughs> Oklahoma. So uh, a few of my fun hunts that I've got planned is, you know, in all honesty, at the top of my, the one I'm looking forward to the most is, you know, we're, we're coming down to you guys to go hunting uh, first weekend in December. So that's, that's pretty fun. You do not even have uh, a clue. There's going to be a gentleman named Pete Peterman that's going to be here when you're here. And he is absolutely the most vile, disgusting, yeah. funny son of a bitch you'll ever be around in your entire life. He's hunted with us for 20 years and he is a great, great, great guy. And you will when you when you leave here, you're you, going to say you'll have some new jokes. You'll you, you'll have lots of new jokes, and you're going to tell me you're going to say that is one of the nicest guys, and that's the most disgusting son bitch I've ever known in my entire life. <laughs> Perfect. I'm excited to meet him. <laughs> um. So yeah, we're coming down. We're you know we're coming down to Knox City uh, first weekend in December, and then I'm making a few trips out to to Montana just because you know I've uh, through through doing interviews I've met. You know, made a few connections up there, and then you know we we hunt a ton in Idaho just because it's right there. We can always do that. A few trips to the Pacific Northwest, and as far because so I'm actually I'm actually doing a few guided trips for big game this year, and so outside of that, that'll probably take up a little bit of time in the early season for me. But then after that, it'll be it'll be go time for waterfowl. Okay, I want to ask you a question. Me and Andy touched this the other day. The top five waterfowl states for you? Where okay. Because you, you listed them. two of mine, I think. Yeah, rank them. Where would you go, the top five? If I had to choose five waterfowl, well, i got to be honest. i got to keep Utah as one of them because the ability to go out on the Great Salt Lake, lay in a layout blind or layout boat, and shoot your limit of ducks in – 20 minutes it's pretty fun i, I, mean, I could see that i think the western states are the best name your top five so you got utah one utah one uh well in no particular order i'm keeping utah uh probably got to keep montana um in all honesty uh northern california i've never been there never hunted it 
but I see the damage that those guys do. I mean, between between the white birds, between the uh, the lessers they get up there. I don't. I mean, I don't know if they shoot a ton of big birds up there, big honkers. But just for the sake of saying that, I, I know it's California. I know it's you know, California, but. I guess I've never been there, so I can't keep it on the list. We'll give that one an honorable mention. Um, but Washington, uh, I, I've always hunted. I've always hunted Idaho, and we we knock the piss out of them up there. So I'm going to keep Idaho. And if it's of the states that I've hunted, it can be any state. We just we just had a. Uh top just anything that we thought because i did you go ahead you can finish it but it can be any state okay so if it can be any state um utah i'm keeping montana i'm gonna keep i'm gonna keep washington and then minnesota and i'm gonna throw uh probably a high between uh north dakota and probably new york Ooh, you and andy both we're close i said new york i'm just going off of what i can remember i said new york i said california i said montana i think i said oklahoma i can't remember what my fifth one is mine was washington state idaho montana I think Wyoming and Missouri. I Maybe think I, said I said Washington. I want. I'd like to go to Missouri because I'd like to go hunt with Logan and them at the Looking Glass Duck Club. You can Club. go fucking anytime you want. I, I can't go either. snow goose hunting. I have a business. I'm not going fucking snow goose hunting anywhere. That's what they're known for. <laughs> Logan ain't snow goose hunting either. Oh, he fucking snow goose hunts all the time. Well, that's just to get away from his wife for a little bit. Oh, and I don't know why she's a smoke <laughs> show. So <laughs> she's a Texas. Girl she's from a Missouri. Texas girl from Missouri. But I, I, I think the same thing as you. The Western states, Washington. Um, Andy wants New York because he wants to go shoot 15 honkers in a day. Yeah. And yeah, you can't. I mean, why not? Yeah, exactly. You, you said Minnesota. Now, I know there's a lot of great waterfowl hunters in Minnesota. Dave Reese, who I think is the greatest guy I've ever had, is from, lives in Minnesota and hunts there. But when I think of Minnesota, I always think of all the water hunting and stuff. And I guess when you get to western Montana or western Minnesota, there's a lot of field hunting there that they're doing on the border of the Dakotas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I've – Minnesota has a ton. I mean, you get outside of, you know, George Floyd Central. And <laughs> a little small, you. <laughs> there's, you know, that's good. Um, <laughs> dude, it's actually, there's some places out there that are just rural BFE. Mm-hmm. And you can just see how it's prime time honker land. And, you know, you, it's, what 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 the hell do they call it? Land of ten thousand lakes or some shit? I think they miscounted. And, I think there's more. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. There's a ton of water out there. Yeah. It's, I mean, awesome, awesome. You know, waterfowl production between breeding grounds and and I can I can see how that that area just produces a shit ton of waterfowl, and so. It doesn't surprise me that the uh, it doesn't surprise me that the the waterfowl hunting out there is you know top notch. Don't you love it when a guest of yours is like long winded? Like you ask a question and like they answer it and then go beyond. I, that's what I realized when we started doing this. Are you talking about Ryan? No, he's shit. A, did I just do that? That's no, what I was wondering too. No, but I'm going back to like your interviewing style. 
like you know, you get the twenty minute you get the twenty minute interview with the ammo guy, and you're like, oh fuck. Like there's there's times that I look at a guy and I'm like, oh, that'll be a good interview. And like you ask him a question and they just answer the question. You're like, God damn it. We're gonna we're not gonna get anywhere with you just doing this. Like fucking elaborate a little bit. So you would rather have someone elaborate. Fuck okay, yeah, I want I thought, somebody long winded. Okay, well I thought you were getting offended by someone being long winded. I'd rather no, someone talk. Fuck no, I like it when the guy talks, and you must also, to a certain I, extent. Well, yeah, I mean if you if you ask him, you know, what their favorite color is and all of a sudden they say, Well, I just love green because the hues are so amazing and then they go on I don't I mean that's shitty example (laughs) you know if they if you give if you ask them a question that they can go off of and it's designed to get them talking Mm -hmm. and they talk beautiful i love it because it gives me more to go off of but if i ask them a question like that and it's like you know how so how how did you get involved in the guiding business and they give me an answer like well it's something i always wanted to do Wow, that was a fucking, just brought a tear to my eye. Holy shit. I don't know how I'll ever put that into writing. I just can't capture it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I do. I love it when people elaborate a little bit, tell you know, dive into a little bit of their life story. And, you know, because that's what makes the articles fun to write. Right. It's fun to listen to. And then, you know, they give me the, the five-word answers, and it's like, oh, man. <laughs> I used to yeah, always... Man. I used to always say everybody had a story, but some fuckers don't have a story. Or they just don't have to fucking tell we've, it. We've had, a, we've had a handful of guests on here that me and Andy have had to really keep the conversation going. And, I mean, when we're looking at each other, like, this is going to be a long. Because I look at the clock to see how long we've been going, and it seems like we've been on for three hours. You look over, it's been 13 minutes. You're like, this is going to be a long <laughs> fucking hour here. And, but, and then we had the guy that comes on that. Because when I'll, I'll put down sometimes, hey, I'm going to do a public hunter. I'd like to talk to someone from Vermont. And I'll have 18 fucking guys from Vermont holler at me or they'll know somebody. Well, a lot of times, I'll hit, you know, a guy will message me and say, hey, my buddy Bubba over there, he's a funny son of a bitch. He's got a lot of stories. Well, Bubba's the one I want to talk to. I want a, fun, I want a guy that's got some stories. One guy told me, oh, I got all kinds of great stories. We had him on. It was fucking horrible. I was like, fuck, dude, you're not fun. <laughs> and you feel bad, but there's just some people just don't have stories I've realized in life. Well, I, I remember talking to you, Jeff, and, and there's some people that don't have stories that think they have stories that mm-hmm. just are monotonous and drag on and on and on. And I fucking oh, panic. Like if, like if that's a situation that Jeff's talking about, like you look up and it feels like an hour, but you look and it's 13 minutes, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to dig deep for this one. <laughs> it's tough yeah cause... there's carrying on people don't realize that carrying on an interview is an art i yeah. mean you've got to know what questions to ask how to keep a conversation alive it's a lot harder than just talking to somebody you got to know when to plug in what type of question when to just let them talk sometimes when to kind of redirect the conversation so at least that's been my experience. Oh, no, you're right, and I just fucked it up because we were talking about fun waterfowl states, and I just went back to this so that I wouldn't forget. You went back to what? <laughs> to fucking interviewing people. Oh. I should just let the conversation play out in the waterfowl states. See, I would – okay, we'll go back to waterfowl states because that is fun. Um, I don't know if Minnesota's as good as it, uh, as it used to be, though. You see a lot of people bitching about Minnesota anymore. Unless they're hunting around Fergus Falls. Yeah, Fergus Falls. Where it was where to go. 
I um, actually, so that's where I flew out. Of, I flew out of MSP Minneapolis this morning, and I I got on maps and looked at how far it'd be to Fergus Falls and go up there and you know go shoot eighteen bands in one day. That'd be pretty nice. All you guys from Minnesota that have lanyards chuck full of bands, just don't feel good about yourselves. <laughs> you, you cheat. You poach. Uh, you, you, you need to have Dave Reese on with you one day. He's a guy that used to work for me. He worked for us for about seven or eight years. Great guy. He works around Fergus Falls. He runs a hunt club up there. Man, I can get you his contact info. <clears throat> one of the best waterfowl hunters I've ever been around in my life. And that's where he hunt, he hunts in that area. But I'm the same as you. Everybody from Minnesota that comes and hunts with us, always well, bitches about hunting in Minnesota. Yeah, every one of them. And I, I don't know that it. <clears throat> everything's pub. There's a lot of public land there, I guess. And I'm sure it's like every place else. It gets wore out. But I don't have very many guys from Minnesota that ever have anything good to say about their home state. But you know, there's got to be some great hunting oh, yeah, there for sure. I think it, I think it, around Fergus Falls, they shoot fucking rivet bands and all sorts of cool shit all the time. I, well, and not even for the bands. I mean, all the all the guys I know that hunt out in Minnesota, they uh, they mop them up. Yeah. So, uh, I th- yeah, I mean, I guess, but I, th- I think it's I don't know that it's statewide, which I guess even you in know, Texas it's not statewide. If you, if you get north of Brainerd back up there, it's all trees and shit. I think it's all going to be water hunting, shooting divers and stuff. I think right. Western Minnesota is the place to be, and I'm I'm speaking out of my ass, and someone's gonna just going damn sure gonna fix us. But from what, what I understand, heard. that's it. Um, I do see that though. I can remember growing up when we first, or whenever I first started coming around. So Jeff married my mom in '97. Um, all of our guys were from Minnesota then. Everybody had fucking everybody except for Dave Reese, and that's how you know somebody's a killer. If you come from a state that they shoot a lot of bands, and he ain't got a fucking band one on there. That son of a bitch is a stud, okay? So everybody came from Minnesota, and it was just fucking jewelry all the way around their neck, all the way. And I'm like, you know, you're 12 years old, and shiny shit's, you know, it flashes to you. So for the longest time, I thought you had to have a lanyard full of bands to, like, have to be this certified badass. And, like, the more I've gotten used to things and hearing things, like, it's exactly like you said. Like, they're fucking cheating. There's, there's yeah. tons of bands up there. It's nothing nothing hard. Who shot that rivet band that's in front of you right now? Uh, that's what I'm saying. It's Dave Reese. Dave Reese. <laughs> Dave Reese right I, uh, sent me a rivet band down. That's when you know, like, you've just got bands coming out of your ass when you send a rivet band down to Texas. The I guided, you know, and I guided in high school for a while, and, you know, even, even you know, through college. And the guy that I worked for, he didn't have a band on his lanyard. Same, same deal. Mm-hmm. Not a band on his lanyard. He had one. He wore one as a ring. Yeah. Um, but I, the, one of the first times I ever really like got in his truck and, and went and scouted with him, he had bands just rolling around on his truck, truck floor. <laughs> I mean, they're just everywhere. I'm like, dude, why don't you put these on your lanyard? And he's mouth full of shit. I don't fucking need them. <laughs> All right, cool. You know, and, yeah, he just, I mean, when you get to the point where you've seen so many geese die and so many people try to fight over bands that you just don't give a shit about them anymore, yeah, yeah, you know you've made it. Yeah, but you're fucking cheating in Minnesota. Get over yourself. It's no, it's no big deal to kill a band up there. They're fucking, they're running out of their ass up there. There's bands yeah, all over well, the place. I can't, uh, I can't say much. It's, you, there's quite a few bands running around here. In, in Utah? Utah? Well, 
Yeah. Just during our, a lot of birds. All the time or just during like early season? Um, in fact, I, I did an interview with the guy who does it. In fact, so this is the first year. I don't know if COVID had something to do with it or what. All he said is we're not doing our, our urban area uh, goose banding project. Mm-hmm. But what they do is they go to like Salt Lake and a bunch of urban areas on the golf courses, trap these birds, band them, and then release them out and try to get them to, uh, what's the word, like imprint with, with wild geese and actually start to migrate. And, you know, you, you go hunting in Utah and, I mean, I swear one out of every two limits you'll shoot a bandit bird. Right. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, someone, someone's going to message me from Minnesota and call me some dickhead motherfucker, but it's like, hey, guys, I, I'm in Utah. It's pretty easy to shoot a bird, well, a bandit bird here they, as well. They ban the birds. You know, you're shooting them during early season or right after they banded the birds. This fucker's flying five miles from where it was banded. Like, it's it's not a feat. In my mind. Yeah, but... But that's coming from somebody where we don't... Listen, can I say if I had the same situation, I wouldn't I wouldn't put all the bands on my lanyard? No, because I probably fucking would. Cause, yeah, but back know. in back in the day when I first got in business, though, we had lots of bands here that we shot. Tons. Like 48 neck-collared speckle bellies one season. I but, mean, but to me, that's cool because it, it tra- it's traveled 2,000 miles to get to you. It, it didn't just hop across the pond, and it's nice and shiny from three days ago when they banded it. Yeah, but we should have never, yeah. ever turned in all them speckle belly bands. We should have put them – they shot them in Arkansas or somewhere because we screwed ourselves on that. That's why our, ban- our limits were changed. Oh, that's what you say. I, that's, I, if, you, if, if on average you shoot a net-collared bird for every 100 geese you kill and you kill 48 one year, then they're like, God damn, them some bitches are mopping them damn speckle bellies up. Well, they didn't realize my guides would hunt and wait around until they saw an orange net collar and then they'd shoot the, spe- the, the collared bird. Yeah, but I think there's more that goes into the limit setting than just that. Like, I think there's summer flyovers and all Do you sorts trust of biologists? Because I don't. Back in the day, I did, Jeff. Okay. Fair That's and changed now. Um, Are you going to Squad Fest? No, I was going to. I had everything planned. I was going to go. I was going to go get my ass kicked in the first round in the contest and everything. But uh, we got our call from a, a guy that's going to do all the training for my dog. And he said, yep, I need him down here on June 12th. Oh. And so I was like, oh, well, we're on a, on a guy that has a, a wait list for like three months out and he's making a special exception, I'm not going to I'm not gonna screw him like that. So Where I are you taking I'll, him? Uh, High Desert Retrievers down in Grand Junction, Colorado. Have I? Gentleman's name is Bill Schaefer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know Bill. I know Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so three-month waiting list, how long is he going to have your dog for? Well, so he's. I told him I want to have him back by at least October. I is, mean. Is this just, this is just like a tune-up or what is, what is this? You know, so my pup's about, he's, he's just over 10 months old and I've. You know, I've done all the work I can do. I'm, you know, I'm no, I'm no dog trainer, but I've got him, I've got him pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm following like Mike Lardy's program, and uh, he's he's as good as I know how to how to make him. Um, but he's got phenomenal, phenomenal pedigree, phenomenal lines, and so it's like, well, I I don't want to have a dog that's only as good as I can make him. I'm willing to, to fork over the money and have him be professionally trained so I can take him out into the field and not worry about him popping through the blind, busting out birds and, 
you know, ruining a hunt. So he, you said he's 10 months now? Yeah. What, uh, so I'm trying to do the math here. What month are we in? You got him in August of last year. Is that right? Or, That's yeah, when he in was. September? You got him in September so I, then. We picked him up at the first part of October. So how was it having a new puppy during hunting season? I thought it was awesome because, well, What would your fiancé think? <laughs> What's that? What would your fiancé think? It was, so it was a, it was actually a really, it was a bittersweet experience because I had a phenomenal, we had a phenomenal hunting dog and, uh, I live on a, I, I live on like a 20 acre farm and we had our dog out in the backyard just, you know, running around a little bit and he got caught up in some old bailing twine that we didn't know about and ended up dying. Mm, that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a shitty deal. And so that was the only time that I haven't had a dog. And so we, uh, you know, we kind of got through the process, grieved it out, and we were just like, well, I, I, I can't not have a dog. I know it sucks to, to try to move on or, you know, to accept a new dog in your life like this, but I, I, want, a, I want a black lab. Mm-hmm. So um, I came across, the, I came across the, a new a new litter of puppies that you know had come from uh that had come from a kennel up in idaho that my a good friend of mine had turned me on to and so we went up got the puppy and uh having him during hunting season was great because you know we could not yet go out bring home bird wings and, and get them adjusted to feathers and um that helped with the training process through the spring and now he's to the point where we've got we've got the basics nailed down to where he should be at about ten months, and then, you know, obviously when we send him off to the trainer to kind of polish things off. Yeah, that'll be good. So, what happened with the with the bailing? How did that How did that happen? So, um, I've so we have like a fence. Uh, well, we have so a, fa- a fenced off backyard. Uh-huh. Um, and then obviously our, our, however many acres that are left cow pasture. And I was in the, I, well, I was actually just coming home from work. My wife had let the dog out and he was going outside doing his business and his collar had caught onto a, an old piece of wire. And we don't know if he panicked or what the deal was, but my wife had gone back inside and was going back out to get the dog and he had just panicked and thrashed himself up inside of the fence and kind of turned it into an ugly mess. And so, and my wife's a vet tech. Yeah. And so she took him to the vet, uh, to her, to her boss mm-hmm. and they, they did, you know, pretty much what they could, but she just, or the vet said, there's, there's not a whole lot that we can do. We're, we're going to have to, you know, put him down. Mm. It's bad. It's a bad deal. Now, w- was that your dog? Before yeah. you two had gotten together, mm-hmm. what had she grown attached? Because you know, Jesse, who you've had the pleasure of talking to, <laughs> she does not like her and my dog are not on good terms ever. It seems like so. Um, like Luke could move out tomorrow and she would yeah, be happy. I asked her not too long ago, like, "Hey, when when his time comes and he passes on, are you even going to be sad that he's gone?" She's like, "I ask myself that quite often." <laughs> that means no. <laughs> <laughs> so was your wife upset that your dog uh, 
passed away. Now, obviously, oh. these are horrific circumstances, and she came up on it. But yeah, she my wife was my wife was heartbroken because she knew how much I loved my dog, mm-hmm. and she'd gotten to the point where she she loved him just as much. Um, and it was, I mean, it, it she was she was got sick about it, and you know, especially where you know, I think she kind of blamed herself. And it's, it just happened to be one of those freak things that you can't control. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a shitty deal. And then we, we moved through the grieving process and we both were like, and she, she's, she grew up with dogs her entire life. And so did I. And so she had, you know, we had no problem going and deciding to go get a new dog. And she, and she found out that I had a, a lab when we were dating and, and get, deciding to get married. She was all for it. But, yeah, it's uh, it, it, that was a challenge. And then, But then, you know, getting a new puppy just, I don't know, it was a good experience. A good good experience, but it was still kind of bittersweet. Well, and for newlyweds, that, it kind of gives you a taste of what's coming up. And your old dog <laughs> will never, ever, ever, ever have had a bad day in his life because our old Beavis, our hunting dog we had, that's the greatest fucking dog that ever lived. He gets better every year. Every story, he gets better. You know, you don't ever remember a bad thing a dog does once he's dead. So your dog will be, 20 years from now, that dog will be amazing how great he was in your mind. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It just, but man, losing a dog is tough and people that don't get attached to him and I, I don't, I don't understand how they can be around him and not get attached to him and have him there all the time. Yeah, that's it's tough, especially I don't know in in the world of of waterfowling. I just feel like, you know, uh, uh, having a dog just makes the experience a lot more. I, I full is is maybe the the word I'm trying to portray here, but it just the experience for me with with hunting with a dog just just kind of caps it all off for me. I have I have some. That's my hardest problem is when I have to tell people they can't bring a dog unless you have a private group. I mean, you can honestly tell a guy your wife's got a fat ass and he won't get mad at all, but if you tell him his dog don't work or something, they get personal about it. But Oh, know. yeah. And well, and there's some do- hey, the reality is some dogs suck. Yeah, I mean, right. I've gone hunt- I've gone hunting with people and it's, you know, you got a flock of, you know, 50 birds locked in on the decoys and then all of a sudden, you know, this dog comes shooting out of the decoy or out of the blind, busts them all up and it's just like Dude, are you serious? You've got to be out here hunting with your dog that doesn't even know the command to sit. Like, this isn't the time to train your dog. Let's let's figure it the fuck out. Yeah, it's it's but, crazy, and that that's what drives me nuts more than anything. Guys want to train the hunt, train the dog on a guided hunt. I mean, you just Jesus, bud. This ain't the place. Y'all are paying big money for this hunt. There's ten of you here. You spent thirty five hundred dollars for the morning to hunt, and now you think this is a time to begin to start working on some hand signals, which your dog obviously don't know how to fucking do. You know. But if it's a private party, you just got to grin and bear it. Yeah. And then, then when the hunt's over, they're like, well, God dang, we're six birds short. Well, you spent two hours and 15 fucking minutes chasing that worthless fucking dog around out there. What do you expect? You know? Yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, you'd have to understand that if your dog, and I understand there's, there's definitely some, you know, myopia that goes into people and their dog thinking that it's better than it is. Mm-hmm. But, ooh, if I was a, if I was a client in a, someone from a different party brought in a dog that wasn't trained and it, and it botched the hunt. Yeah. I'd be, I'd probably be a little hot. You so, should be. 
Yeah. People we, probably, if people can't understand that, that's on, that's that's a personal problem. That's on them. There is a group of men in this country that have no friends. It's just a single guy and his dog. And I get calls from 15 of them every year, and every outfitter gets the same call. Well, can I bring my dog? Well, if you have a private party, which well, just me. Well, get some fucking friends, buddy. You know? How hard is it to get some friends? He's probably a single hunter because he's brought his dog around too many of his old buddies, and they're like, oh, fuck, yeah. I'm not going hunting with Jim Bob anymore. He brings that fucking dog everywhere we go. I get this call five times a year, I bet you. Hey, Jeff, this is Bill. Listen, my buddy Rocky's going to call you, and he wants to bring his dog on his hunt. Let me tell you something. That fucking dog can't find a salami sandwich in a closet. Don't <laughs> let him bring his dog, please. Do whatever you need to do, but just please. So old Rocky calls me up, and I'm like, nah, you can't bring your dog. Or, Don't we have a private party? Yeah, but you can't bring your dog. You know, and I have to come up with something. They make me tell the fucking guy not tell him instead of them telling him. But they're paying the bill, so I don't care. But that, that happens five times a year, every year, and most outfitters deal with that same call also. The single hunter that ain't got no friends, and Rocky wants to bring his fucking dog, and his dog sucks, and his buddies don't want him to bring it. Yeah, there's like there's a guy that we hunt with up in uh, up in Idaho, or, or you know used to hunt with, and it, it's that same scenario. You're you're working with uh, you're, you're you've got six seven guys out in the blinds, and you got a flock of honkers coming in. You're hunting the X, and they're just locked in on you. And out goes fucking Titus into the decoys, <laughs> knocking shit over, trying to hump one of the decoys, give it to him, and Titus. geese are flying out, and, you know, Scott's are fucking Titus, get into the blind, God damn it. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on here? Get the thing in a chokehold or something. But, There's uh, really a Titus, then, or isn't there? No, there really is a Titus. I knew there would be. <laughs> I knew that. I made up Rocky's <laughs> name. <laughs> No, yeah, no, I, I didn't. No, no, no censorship there. Titus is a shit dog. But, um, and it's so. Then last year we go out hunting, and there's there's Titus, and you know they're out there, and he's he's alone because no one can stand hunting with him, and he's gonna, by God, he's gonna train this dog to be a grand champion, even though it's five years old and probably wouldn't wouldn't be able to find a bird, wouldn't be able to find a salami sandwich in a closet. And there's products like Gundog, like the fucking quick release. We used to have one right behind us. Oh, I gave it to Steve Barber. Um, fucking, you just clip that thing on, and that son of a bitch is there until you let it go. A good dog. There's no guesswork in it. A if good, you don't pull the rope, that fucker is not going anywhere. A good dog yeah, is a I, great tool. And that's one thing I'm going to miss. Austin Kaufman's not going to be here this year. He's getting married and getting a real job. But his little dog, Roxy's one of the best little dogs I've ever seen in my life. But good dogs that are disciplined and know what you do, they're – there, there's there's a bunch of them out there, but boy, we sure see some of them that don't have any discipline. And that's part of being in the outfitting business. Lou was my first dog, and I I can't imagine, like, doing one without him at this point. Like, he's going on – I think he'll be – Eight. Eight, or he is eight. You start thinking, get you another one. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, but honestly, like, I can't imagine not ever having a dog. Number yeah, one, I'll, fucking tips go way up. Yeah, I, I think tips on dog. Fuck yeah. Ryan, listen to this idea. Had a guy to hear. He wanted a monkey, have a monkey to retrieve geese. Would that not be a tip getting some of a bitch, have a little chimpanzee? If you could train a monkey to go get birds, oh, oh shit, you could make money hand over fist. Yes, not a chimp, but one of those little bitty ones, like, you know, that big. 
two, went, two feet tall. We went, were going to rig up a saddle and put it on the dogs. So he, you know, if you ever have a hunt with a dog and the monkey, he'd ride the dog out there. The dog would pick it up. Monkey would get two. So now you're all of a sudden you're getting three per trip of the dog. That'd be a money making some bitch. Everybody'd come back and just like, I want to hunt with the monkey. I'd have to have you, you five could, monkeys. You could sell. You could sell <laughs> hunts just for people wanting to. You people wouldn't even want to hunt. They just want to watch the monkey go out and get birds. <laughs> Boo Boo Mancini was going to be his name too. We'd already we'd come up <laughs> with names. We'd come up with names and everything. Uh, oh. We were gonna try to make it happen, but I can I tell know, you, it's right, hard to get a monkey right now. We won't have a monkey ever in our house because Ollie, our labradoodles, enough gets me in enough trouble for shedding and the bullshit he does. Could you imagine the shit a monkey would get into in the house? Throwing Ooh. feces, be worse than having a raccoon in the house. That's th- that. Okay, that's my next goal. I want a raccoon. <laughs> I want a pet coon so bad. <laughs> we were so I, I wasn't on this hunt. Unfortunately, I can't remember where I was, but my dad, he went up to, he went up to Idaho to go hunt. And I think I was hunting somewhere else. I think I was down in Utah helping someone out, but he goes up to Idaho and he, it's like, you know, negative however many and gets locked out of his room. And we, when we go to Idaho, we stay in just this dive meth lab (laughs) and so he walks out and he forgets it. He he had to go like plug his truck in or something. Walks out of his hotel or his motel room, forgets his key, and the doors like do that little like auto lock thing. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he can't get in, and the ho- or the motel manager is not there. And so he's walking around in his underwear, <laughs> you know, just just knocking doors like I hope someone can help me out. Well, so there's some crackhead in the parking lot playing video games on her phone. And he knocks on her window, and she, I guess, just freaks out. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Can I get some help? And she says, well, go up to whatever whatever room. Some guy always lives up there. He can probably help you out. So my dad goes up to this room, knocks on the door, and this guy opens it. He's probably three sheets to the wind. And he, he my dad's like, he keeps looking back, and he says, hey, Cooney, you stay there. <laughs> what's he talking to the Cooney you stay and all of a sudden my dad's like what I thought was a pillow starts to move from underneath his covers and all of a sudden this giant ass raccoon comes up and it's he said it was honestly about as big as like you know a medium-sized dog (laughs) I'll have to I'll have to send you the picture because this thing in a picture it is a tank and he said he was uh, he was out swathing fields up in Idaho and you know, hit the rat or, you know, got into the raccoons, saved this one. that has been his pet. Ever since then, I'm going to have a pet raccoon. I don't know if I'll be able to train it to get birds, but I want a pet raccoon so bad. Then things will tear up more shit. They're destructive. My dream was to have a pet bobcat, and I had one for about two weeks. And <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, that I, that was a bad, bad deal right there. I'll never try that again. But You couldn't even go to its cage. Like, you would go to its cage, and it would just spaz out. Like, heaven forbid, if you, like, did this little number, like, in the cage, it would rip your fucking Motherfucker had mountain lion in it somewhere, but it was, Damn. but that was my dream. You lost it one time, didn't you? You took it out to try to play with it, and the oh. fucker just ran off and, like, hit under a bed or something, yeah. so now you got to get a pissed off mount, or bobcat uh, out some, from under a bed? I'm telling you, a five-week-old bobcat trying to pull out from under a bed is hard. Thank God I had, I had to go get some welding gloves to pick that little fucker up, but I called a friend of mine that they had a... A rehab place oh it's the sweetest little thing took it there to him had had it in the little dog in a puppy kennel 
And she's like, oh, we, we can transfer it from my puppy kennel. I said, no, 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 no. I'm donating this puppy kennel. I don't want you taking that son of a bitch out by me and me be responsible for it. As soon as I drove off, I was like, that's their fucking problem now. <laughs> Meanest little son of a bitch I ever had in my life. But I always thought I'd like to have a pet coon, too. But everybody I know it's had. Matter of fact, I knew some people had one, and they pulled the fucking numbers off of a laptop. All the buttons off of a laptop popped them up. Dang. Just because they got fingers, you know? They can just they can do whatever. So anyway, right, I'm willing to pay that price. Well, I wish you the best with this raccoon. <laughs> you've you've been a great guest. We look for. I was hoping we was going to see you in St. Louis at Squad Fest. We will see you the first weekend of December. Dinner is at Friday at, five, at six o'clock that night. Already told Perfect. me what time dinner is. You got COVID. Like you were supposed to come last year. You got COVID like the day you were leaving, didn't you? Well, so yeah, it was it was a that was a shit deal. Um. So I, I can't remember what happened, why I needed to get tested. I think my someone in my in-laws ended up getting COVID, and so I had to go get tested for work. And my so my sister, you know, she's, she's you know, nurse, and she's the one that did all my tests. And it was like three days before I was getting ready to leave. And Abby, my sister, sends me a text that says, hey, you're positive for COVID. And then, like five minutes later, Jeff texts me and asks if I'm still ready to go. <laughs> so I had to be like, "I'm real sorry, but I just got diagnosed with COVID." So did you ever get sick? Was, I I got like a sore throat and a case of the sniffles, and that was it. Now my wife, she she got hit kind of hard by it, but that was it. I didn't lose my taste. I didn't lose you know all the. All the horror stories that everybody was saying, like that didn't it didn't hit me that hard, but yeah, it didn't it didn't do anything that I was real real affected by. See, I, I still can't smell or taste. Yeah, really. my smell my my I smell diesel fumes all the time, and it'll go away for a month or two, and then it'll come back. And and st- certain t- stuff tastes like shit. I mean, there's just no taste to it food wise that don't it'll never taste the same. It seems like. Toothpaste, the hardest thing. I've went through four toothpastes in the last three months, and they all taste like shit. Oh, that sucks. I can't – I'm getting fat and out of shape because I'm, <laughs> I'm married. I went right? through that stage. Yeah, but uh, I just – I keep blaming the fact that I can't run and can't, you know, do all my physical activity on COVID. That's mm-hmm. a nice excuse. Like, you know, I'm be out hiking it's like oh man this covid damn it it got me can't i don't have the lung capacity anymore but i'm just you know i'm fat and out of shape and you play catcher too so like you you know you got big legs i'm assuming but not much cardio yeah oh yeah i don't need cardio i just sit back there and sit in my haunches and catch the ball i don't gotta move around did you play catcher in college yeah yeah those those were the glory days when i actually uh was in shape and could look down and see my toes <laughs> um i played catcher that that's that was that was what i played it's uh it's a lot of fun you gotta have a different mentality to play back there though i didn't play yeah, college gotta be, gotta be kind of a goon gotta be willing to uh you know be a little different well the main thing is you gotta pay attention you gotta kind of know a little bit about baseball that's what's so hard is baseball is not an easy sport to teach kids because there's so many different scenarios. Like if he, ta- you know, like if it's not just one person on first and forces, good luck teaching a fucking kid that. Like, okay, you know, you got to hold him here, or you got to tag the base, or you got to tag him for him to be out. So like playing catcher, like you kind of got to coordinate everything. Like, hey, if this happens, go here. If that happens, go there. 
Don't be a dumbass. Do your job. <laughs> Pay attention. Yeah. I mean, I'm still a dumbass, but I figured <laughs> out how to do it. Did uh, did you have a good stick on you too in college? Yeah, yeah. I got I got away with being fast, but I was I was still able to uh, I was still able to lose a ball here and there. So you, uh, what do you mean you were fast? Explain that. Like you were a good base dealer. Yeah, I mean, so I I mean, I'm not the you know I'm not. Six three two twenty. I'm five seven, a buck seventy. Yeah. So I mean, I I had enough pop to be able to you know hit a ball every once in a while, hit one out. Mm-hmm. But what what my what my bread and butter was is I was able to you know hit one through the infield and then steal a base or you know if it was if I hit a single you know most of the time I'd be able to sometimes you know, stretch it into a, or stretch it into a double. Um, but yeah, I having, being able to, to be fast and have some speed underneath me, that really, that really helped me out. So you, so did you look up to Pudge Rodriguez? A little, little short, little short catcher from Texas Rangers, or is he gone I, by the time you were playing? I, I'm older than I you, loved, so. I love Pudge Rodriguez. Pudge was great. But my, I think one of my main, the catcher that I think I looked up to the most was uh, Buster Posey, the okay, dude from I, the, I the San Francisco the Giants. Giants. Yeah. That guy is just all-American stud. I mean, gets his leg absolutely shattered in a play at the plate in a collision, gets it pieced back together, still keeps on playing. Like, I don't know. There's, I, I have a lot of respect for guys like that. Doesn't, doesn't showboat plays the game the right way who's you know, the, he's not who's the guy that pitch that catches for st louis uh yadier molina he's been around forever hasn't he yeah and he's in my opinion he's probably the best catcher of all time at least defensively better than pudge better than pudge i hadn't watched baseball in 20 years i used to watch i was i remember when pudge first came up to texas everybody had been talking about how good he was and they were playing the oakland a's and ricky henderson was with the a's then and so Ricky's going to steal on this sucker. So he gets, he walks or gets a single. He's on first, and that's the big thing. Oh, here we are. We're going to see how good this rookie is. Fucking Pudge threw Ricky Henderson out by 15 feet. It wasn't even close. He threw him out like three times in like two nights. But Pudge was as good as there was during that time. Like I don't remember Johnny Bench. I was too young to know Johnny Bench when he was in his prime, but I had some friends that played with Johnny Bench, and they say he was the model catcher until from Johnny Bench to then Pudge. You know, that was – I liked Carlton Fisk that played for the Red Sox. And catchers were a tough breed of guys, and they still are. That's got to be the most physical – in baseball, that's the physical spot to play, I think. Yeah, it's – I mean, because you're – the thing about being a catcher is you're involved in every play. Yep. Every play. And it's – you know, you can't, you can't miss anything because if you miss anything or, you know, a ball gets by, uh, that can have some pretty – huge effects on the outcome of a game and so if you're not if you're not paying attention if you start to slack on a play you know you're you you can kind of fuck things up for the rest of the team for sure yeah no that's exactly right it's just like little league baseball your best player is your pitcher then your your catcher and your shortstop are your three best players usually and the toughest kid's always got to be – one with a single mom usually is the best catcher kid. He's been through a lot of shit in his life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. 
And on that note, we're going to let you go, my friend. It's been uh, it's been enjoyable. We really enjoy you coming on here. Uh, we wish you the best with Split Read. Um, my hat's off to you because, like, it's got to be waterfowl-related, all your shit. Like, it's tough to break. At least with this podcast, like, we've got the, the bull rider or something crazy. Like, you've got to be in the waterfowl state of mind 12 months out of the year. So, we will. my we, hat's off to you, my friend. We will I see enjoy you in reading De- your content. We'll see you in December. Awesome. Thanks, fellas. You enjoy uh, enjoy Squad Fest, and uh, we'll see you in December. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, Ryan. Appreciate it. Sounds good, buddy. Take care, gents. See ya. He called us gents. I ain't been called gent in a long time. Well, he is talking to the world-famous Andy Shaver. That's so, true. So, you know, a little level of respect goes a long way. If you were English, we might have to be calling you Sir Andy Shaver. You just wait until my, my outfit. <laughs> oh, shit. I can't wait. Everybody that's listening to this, we'll see y'all at Squad Fest this weekend in St. Louis. Come by and say hi to us. I'll be the good-looking guy with the white goatee with the world-famous Andy Shaver. God bless y'all, and have a great week. Go check out all of our sponsors. Check out Dive Bomb. Come to Squad Fest, June 11th and 12th. It's going to be a great time. Check out Eyesight Drone Service. Get your land surveyed. See what you're working with. Check out Goose Creek Retrievers, Gundog Outdoors, Pacific Calls, uh, Boss Shot Shells, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, Dirty Duck Coffee, Lucky Duck, Looking Glass Duck Club. They're all great people.